Hello, welcome to Empty Plates, a podcast by Bear Kitchen. Empty Plates is a podcast about food and memory. I'm your host, founder of Bear Kitchen, Anjali B.S., and I believe that every plate tells a story. Today, I'm speaking to Gavin Wren. Gavin is a food systems consultant, writer, editor, and an incredible coffee connoisseur. He is the founder of Wren Co., a creative food systems consultancy that is focused on finding innovative solutions to delivering pretty complex problems. He has most recently also gained a huge following and a staggering 1 million views on TikTok by doing just this. Welcome, Gavin. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. I'm just finishing my coffee. Your fifth cup of coffee today? Uh, yeah, about fifth, sixth, yeah. In a row, or? Well, just over, spread over the day, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that you've not asked for any water. You've just been having coffee after coffee. <laughs> it just keeps me going. I guess it's both, right? You're like hydrating and energised at the same time. Yeah, coffee is a pretty like vital part of my daily routine. How many coffees do you usually drink? Um, okay. No judgment. About generally about four double espressos is what I have each day. That's not too bad. It's not too bad. Yeah, it's a couple in the morning, a couple in the afternoon. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But before, do you finish before six o'clock? Yeah, finish before six o'clock. Yeah. That's a general rule, right? Like, because you need to try and sleep. Yeah, like four to five o'clock is my cut off, and then might have one later on going out if you know got a wild evening out (laughs) (laughs) right and i'm sure we're all having wild evenings now because um we're a little we have a little bit more freedom now are we Mm. feeling a bit more wilder um yeah definitely definitely yeah Yeah? it'd be nice to go into restaurants and bars and and experience that like social environment again have you been out to many restaurants been out to a few yeah Mm. yeah that's been i mean that the restaurants i've been to it felt quite normal in many respects although they've got some social distancing in place it's very much the environment just feels very similar it's the service is similar aside from wearing masks it's just kind of it feels it's quite a nice feeling to be back in that social environment with other people eating food like that it's interesting because I noticed that yesterday I went to have a pizza yesterday and I just noticed that a lot of the staff are almost feel they've missed it so much too. So mm-hmm. they're really eager to have a conversation that's more than just, what would you like? It's like, how are you? What are you doing? I feel like maybe the customer services has, has also lifted because people want to have more of a conversation. Well, yeah, I think what's amazing, what I love actually is in bars at the moment is how everything's turned to table service. Oh, yeah. Because it's like brilliant. I think this is brilliant for like both for the customers and for the staff because I reckon the staff are probably earning more because they're getting tips because you know when when there's table service I think people are more inclined to tip so yeah there's, there's probably more they might even be more staff required there are probably more tips and also I think for a lot of customers it just it's just a nicer experience as well so I'm quite enjoying some of the bars at the moment with the way they're working I mean it's cool because you know you finally be able to get like fancy rope service you're like Oh, is that table for me? Great, I'll take a table. We're usually sort of like called into the bar on most occasions prior COVID. I mean, I guess we have our upsides at the moment. Yeah, exactly. You've got to look for the positives and everything. Yeah, I think people are being more creative, you know, because Mm. we're being pushed to be more creative. So, Mm. but on the subject of food, I would like to know what your first memory of food is. It doesn't have to be anything singular. It could be a multitude of things, but... 
thinking back to a time when you know you first recall the first sort of tastes you liked and you started to sort of build that foundational sort of palette that's kind of taking you to where you are today yeah I really struggle to remember distinctive memories of food in my childhood I I don't think my family had a particularly strong food culture in many ways so I don't remember like really specific like dishes or meals and or even flavors it, well no, no I do remember some flavors but it, it's it's not like there's something that really stands out in terms of like what my family had but what I do remember is always liking things with lots of vinegar on them <laughs> and I have no idea why yeah and you know I remember very distinctly loving pickled onions mm. and also loving cockles with vinegar as well with lots and lots of vinegar and these were things that were like literally were regular features throughout my childhood and they were things that I always really enjoyed. So cockles, cockles this yeah. is coming from somebody who's, who's never eaten a cockle before okay. but did you grow up by the coast like where did you no, grow up? No I grew up well I grew up in on the very edge of southwest London, nowhere near the coast. My family don't have any links to the coast. We don't have any <laughs> cockle pickers in our, in our family. And I obviously just tried them somewhere quite young as a child and really enjoyed them. And what used to happen, so like when I was probably about, I'm guessing about nine years old or mm -hmm. something like that, on a Friday night, Obviously, I was a bit too young to be going out partying, so... Right, on a, on it start so early then. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't quite, yeah. But, so at that kind of age, my mum would always buy me and my brother something to have on a Friday night, like a treat, and we were allowed to choose what that treat was. It was a, you know, our yeah. celebration at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. And I, through literally through my own choice, would choose to have a jar of cockles. That was my treat that I would choose. My brother would choose, like fruit and nut bar or something like that you know like where do you get a jar of cockles from just in wimbledon in the supermarket just like all, the, all right. the shops well they used to i guess they still do so were they next to the pickled gherkins like where would you i'm guessing they would be with the like cans of condiments and, and stuff like that they would be with the canned fish and things like that maybe maybe they don't sell them anymore i mean i don't know now i'm intrigued yeah, I'm, i don't eat them but i'm gonna go and look time. for them i've not eaten any for a long time i would say probably in fact, it may well be a, a something that is lodged in my childhood, as in yeah. I don't remember as an adult ever mm. buying a jar of cockles. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting one, that. No idea where it came from. But yeah, that was for, I remember for a long time that was my food of choice to celebrate the end of the week. <laughs> I mean, at nine years old, I was choosing really bad things like pot noodles yeah. or crisps and or a big bag of sweets Clearly. i mean what what, what very what like right, mature taste but what right thinking person what right thinking kid like <laughs> wouldn't choose like a bar of chocolate you know what i mean that's just like the obvious thing what can you have anywhere on a friday night i'll have yeah crisps chocolate popcorn whatever you know you give them that choice it's like so weird i guess you know maybe that's just a bit of a left field kind of way of thinking that but then it's the flavor as well i mean it's yeah. obviously the flavor I used to love pickled onions. Like if you, I used to get given jars of pickled onions as yeah. presents from my <laughs> aunt's father. He used to make these big jars of pickled onions mm. and he used to give me them as presents. But I would just, you know, in fact, these, even as an adult, I bought a jar of pickled onions at the supermarket, got them home, just eating the whole jar. And then <laughs> Do you just eat them on their own? 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Or do you put them together like, you know, the very like 90s chic, not so chic. I don't know if chic and pickled onions has ever been used together in a sentence before. <laughs> but do you remember in the 90s or the 80s, the height of sophistication for a canopy was like pickled onions and cheese no. on oh, a cocktail stick. Oh, pineapple and cheese. Yeah, and a pickled, was it, did you not have pickled onion in your no. house? Well, Maybe pickled the Indians onions, pickled, differently. Onions, pickled onions and cheese definitely go together, like, you know, like a plowman's as well. I think that's a Yeah, 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 idea. exactly. I do remember, I definitely remember having pineapple and cheese on cocktail sticks. Yeah, we'd have like volivants filled with yeah. like something and then pickled onions and cheese. Yeah. It's a good match though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would, that's the thing. Most people would have it. And, and I would as well have pickled onions on the side with something. But I definitely also had the capacity just to consume them solely on their own as a snack. Interesting. Yeah. So that's like quite a focus on sour then. Yeah, really. Are you still, are you still sort of, is your palate still controlled in a very similar way now? I would say now I'm more on bitter things. So like the coffee, for instance, you know, like I really love coffee, the bitter, you know, I love olives. It's kind of similar, Mm -hmm. the hints of bitterness. Definitely like that. And I would say that. Are you a Campari man? Uh, not really. <laughs> that's no, quite. That's quite bitter. Is that a Negroni? Is it Camarilla uh, Negroni? That's yeah. I think it oh might God, be. God, I'm not really showing my alcohol knowledge here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I had my first Negroni two weeks ago, and, and it was quite nice. But it was like, oh wow, like yeah, with properly. The, yeah, with the orange bitters. I think. Oh God, anyone yeah. thinks listening who's <laughs> who knows about Negroni, I'm really sorry if I'm just ripping yeah. it to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, so now I don't know what would characterize my palate now. Yeah, I like dark chocolate. I like very dark chocolate. So definitely the, the things I really enjoy now are, I guess, more towards the bitter end. Yeah, olives, coffee, dark chocolate. That's actually quite a mature combination, isn't it? It's like an, I didn't like mushrooms when I was younger, but now I, I can handle mushrooms mm. and different levels of like truffles. And mm. you're like, yeah, as a kid, it was like disgusting. Like, yeah. I'm not going to eat that slimy stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's strange. And I mean, I do have a sweet tooth still. Like when I was a kid, well, actually that's interesting. When I was a kid, I had a bit of a sweet tooth. Mm. But as an adult, I really retained that as well. I'm Mm -hmm. very, very partial to sweet things. (laughs) That's something that, yeah, I love, yeah, love chocolate, love cake, love ice cream. And I kind of, that's not really changed. Because even when I was a kid, I liked those things, but I wasn't Mm -hmm. like obsessed with having tons of sweet stuff. And I would say that's kind of been a fairly constant not diminished that much <laughs> if your palate has pretty much gone sort of dare i say like opposite directions you've gone from sweet to bitter are they opposites no sweet you've gone from sour to bitter but yeah. it's kind of evolved in that way yeah, yeah, yeah. quite drastically do you think now do you think you'll probably see a, another evolution of your taste stretching again or becoming mm. you know going away from exactly where you are now or do you think you're kind of cemented in this sort of taste now that's a good question. I feel like it's fairly stable now. I think I reached a point maybe about about five years ago where I just started finding myself having finding certain types of foods that just fitted with my life. And like porridge is the example. Like I've literally had porridge for breakfast for ten years maybe eight years but anyway a long time mm-hmm. it's just like it just works it just fits with my life and that's what I I'm finding more and more is I find things that I just really enjoy and they feel really good to eat and 
maybe with porridge, I modify it so, so it tastes nice. You know, I put cinnamon, banana, whatever in it. So it's, you know, some nuts. So it's kind of like a nice, nice meal. But that's it. Like, totally, I would happily eat that every day. Porridge. Yeah, for like without any change and that would be that'd be fine by me and, you know i've got this capacity to eat the same thing every single day and i don't get bored because if it's something that i enjoy eating i enjoy the flavor and i enjoy how it makes me feel then i'm just like fine that'll do and then i just eat that same thing there's almost the continuity of it is a pleasurable thing for you as well to know that it's yeah. just there yeah, 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 yeah. Which is quite nice, actually. Yeah, and like, you know... So you've not... got your coffee and <laughs> your oats in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Or your coffee throughout the day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, because especially with, with like home life, I'm very happy to have things that I just know fit my life at home. Because almost I find the idea of constantly changing and choosing different things to have just like more complicated than I need to make my life mm. I'm more than happy to enjoy all the choice of all the foods available in the world when I go out for dinner or if I meet friends or if I'm cooking for friends or something like that then that's great okay let's do whatever but for some reason I just find that like an excessive amount of complication for my day-to-day -day life so no I understand you know it's yeah it's nice it's like having that thing that you can just fall back and rely on that feels just really well, it's it's when we when we think about like the plates that have formed our lives. I think it's a new perspective for me as well because I think sometimes we think that it has to be so diverse, so dramatic. But actually, a lot of the plates that form our lives are the continuity that gives the same way that you need to breathe in the morning, that you need to you know function. Mm. These are the functional plates of food, as it were, that just mm. keep us sort of going mm. from day to day. No, exactly, the porridge is totally functional. You know? Yeah, it's like. You know, really, <laughs> yeah, really, really dull. You know, but it's just who I am. I remember, oh, like, I don't know, I'm telling the story. But no, no, go so for I it. So I, <laughs> when I, like, I was dating someone and the first time she stayed over with me, I, <laughs> I was, at that time, I was like a digital nomad. So I was living out of, like, two bags. So I had, like, like nothing, you know. I just had my clothes and everything, and my laptop and my stuff to work. And like in terms of food, yeah. I had very, very little because I was moving around different places. Yeah. And when I was a digital nomad, I carried. Um, there were just a few items that I carried. You had like a special kit. Yeah, these were the things that I had to basically carry with me. Okay. First thing was a mocha pot, like the little stovetop espresso pot. Cool. Because I discovered that even like in places around the world where they might produce coffee it doesn't mean that there's always a way to make good coffee aha so you know like for example like a good example is colombia where colombia obviously famous for coffee however the locals drink tinto which is basically the worst kind of overbrewed, harsh strong uh, coffee right that you can get so if you you know so you can be in colombia where there's amazing coffee but not actually have access to good coffee Got you, yeah, the, the finished product. Yeah, because for lots of different reasons. So anyway, so what I ended up doing was buying this mocha pot. So then wherever I was staying, I knew that I could buy some coffee from somewhere and then I can make my own. That's great. <laughs> so coffee was the first thing. The second thing that I would always carry was oats and cinnamon so that I could make porridge. Yeah. And that was like really, really important to me to have oats and cinnamon. And I carried these all around places all around the world. And then, but anyway, so I was so I was dating someone, and they stayed over, and then <laughs> like, and then it was like, okay, I'll make us breakfast, 
do you like porridge? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm good to go. Because it was literally all I had. It was like that was it was porridge or well. I'd have to go and well, buy, some, buy yeah. something or whatever, but I was just like, oh, that's it, I've got porridge, I've got bananas. <laughs> so, you know, I remember it's like, like... It's like Mary Poppins, your bag must have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, that was the weird thing, was I was almost, I wasn't, it almost felt like, it was just quite like genuine and authentic, because it's like yeah. the most unsexy breakfast you could ever make someone, but it was just what was part of my life, so... Yeah. I don't think it's unsexy. The Americans always say it's that hard having... It's to make it look sexy. If you can take a photo of porridge, it's hard to make it look sexy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it is, but in the sense that like now everybody on Instagram has got like the sexiest porridge bowls in oh, the world. Yeah. And, like their fruit neatly displayed and then like yeah, yeah. a pile of like true. nuts and fruits. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's all immaculately done. Mm. That is true. That's that why is we call the empty plate podcast the because bits. we like the empty plate, not the um, the made up plate. Do you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not about it's not about how it's put together. You've thought it's, about this, haven't you? I thought about it a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's an empty plate because it was good. It was a good yeah, meal. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. So I think we've travelled a few phases of your life. If I can put you on a spot, and I know that you've not prepared for this, but because you've talked about your taste, and then you've talked about getting to a point in the last five years where it became about functionality and having things that were always with you. Has there been a meal that has sort of saves you? A meal that can sort of make you feel safe and be your... We could call it a go-to or a staple, but there are some meals that just evoke a certain sense of safety. Maybe that's your porridge, but has there been a moment or a meal in your life that's done that for you? So it's something that creates a sense of safety. I've definitely got like a go-to comfort meal, which mm. is like carb-based. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Well, actually, now I've said that, there's probably two. So one thing that I really love, and this is for a few years now, it's been like my go-to default kind of like Sunday, Sunday homemade meal, and that's actually making my own pizza at home. And so I make the dough make tomato sauce and actually like in my freezer I have balls of dough frozen ready to oh, make wow. pizzas and, and little pots of the tomato sauce so then I just make my own homemade pizza and for some reason I that's that's like my sort of that's my definitely my comfort meal and I actually prefer that to getting a takeout pizza as well you know and that is definitely something that I really enjoy it makes me feel really happy and comforted but also a big bowl of pasta. I mean, who doesn't love a big bowl of pasta to like, you know, to comfort and just, it's like there's something about feeling full. There's something obviously about nurturing, about feeling full up, especially that's something that, what I definitely get. I get comfort through quantity of food, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> How many bowls do you need? Well, you know, but it is, there's that sense of when, when my stomach feels really full, then it's like, then I feel like comforted, you yeah. know, because I think that a lot of, people and maybe a lot of families they show love through food so therefore often there's maybe some sort of emotional deep emotional connection between having a full stomach and being loved mm -hmm. you know so therefore it becomes easy to soothe ourselves through similar ways because it's like okay it's self-soothing is eating maybe a bit too much pasta or a big pizza but then it feels emotionally sort of calming to do that it's interesting you mentioned this because during lockdown, you and I were speaking a lot, as we do, but I remember you speaking to the BBC about 
bread and about how a lot of people had begun to bake bread during mm. lockdown and you know pizza weekly pizza in my house I was staying in my parents was a big thing and there is this connection between we recognize the connection between like comfort and safety um, and during the last several months it's really been highlighted but also quite scary at the same time because you know the prediction of like obesity levels etc going high but it'd be great just from your perspective of somebody who works in the space to kind of you know how do you see that space going do you think people are more connected to what they recognize as comfort for themselves now do you think they see it more clearly as opposed to something that we run to but like you said I can make the pizza for myself you know it's a comfort and I can make it for myself do you think the psychology of people has changed now mm. well I mean during lockdown it changed a lot for sure yeah. so during lockdown people's relationships with food changed in, in huge ways probably for lots of reasons like from scarcity because of the fact that supermarket shelves were empty in some places so then people get scared whether they realize it or not and they sort of take actions you know to create some kind of uh, agency or control over what they do actually eat so that could be stockpiling or it could be actually engaging like with the bread thing which was sort of you know when you make your own bread you feel like you've really sort of you've provided for yourself for your mm -hmm. family so it kind of it, it gives a sense of control and uh, obviously it's a nice thing to do as well as hobby but and you know people were cooking more you know there's been there was a huge you know in lockdown there was an enormous surge in online resources for cooking mm -hmm. and for recipes you know uh, someone i know who's got a popular youtube channel there so their traffic like doubled during lockdown wow you know so they're getting enormous amounts so people will have definitely engaged with food in very different ways and possibly taught themselves new skills mm -hmm. and learned things around food. And then how people retain that if they retain it. I mean, if people, if, if organizations are going to work from home, if like people are saying, you know, if companies are saying, right, you can work from home from now on, then there's a chance that people might retain some of the new practices and skills yeah. they've taken on during lockdown because even though lockdown's easing they're still roughly in the similar environment they're working from home they might have family around or or housemates or whatever it's you know situation they're living in they might just adopt you know new practices and, and maintain them so yeah there's, I think there's definitely changes around that it's a really interesting point you mentioned actually because like I know some people that have gone back to being in their offices, but they work in quite large organizations. Their canteens aren't open now and because of health and safety, and they don't think the canteens will be open for a, a, quite a while still. Mm. Um, October is obviously a difficult month for most organizations because that's when the furlough scheme ends. So it's, you know, how do these organizations, if they're not reopening, you know, what's, what's the issue for their staff? But in terms of, like, the food at work, Everyone is still, from all the friends that I've been speaking to and some of the clients that I work with, everyone's bringing their stuff in still or going to the local supermarket or like, I don't know, M&S or Waitrose or something, a big sandwich. But yeah, I think most people are sort of bringing, and there's a bit more pride, I think. Well, there's big questions as well, you know, like we've seen Boris Johnson obviously launch his obesity <laughs> strategy on, you know, simply because of his personal experience with COVID. You know, because we've seen that there is a link between, you, you know, between obesity and mortality with COVID. And that's just, that is an increased risk that is just, that is present. So 
you know, there's also interesting things that might be arising over how we react to the threat of COVID and whether that has an impact on people's behaviours. Mm-hmm. You know, and like the UK is one of the biggest consumers of ultra-processed foods. Mm-hmm. It's one of Europe's biggest consumers. Yeah. And will that change? You know, it's possible it could, but I don't know. There's a lot of questions that come out of COVID and how we're actually going to react. Well, it's quite interesting because that just leads me to think about a plate that you mentioned to me, which was uh, when you were traveling, there was a specific plate that you mentioned. If you can speak to that. The oyster. The oyster. The the oyster. Yeah, Yeah, and like my first, say, really stuck in my memory. Because oysters had always been something that was like, had a certain status. They were attached Mm -hmm. to maybe certain lifestyles, this idea of them being sort of a luxurious item, Mm -hmm. even though that's kind of like sort of detached from their history. That's what they are these days. And I'd never had an oyster and I'd never, for some reason, been in the situation to try one. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'd always seen them as something a little bit otherworldly because no one ever you know they're not compared to any other any other like food you know they're very unique and people talk about them as if they're like snot or slimy or Mm -hmm. like whatever and all these kind of weird things it's like oh my god it seemed like a really like it's a really interesting thing to try and i've just never been in a situation to try one and then i was in singapore and how old are you uh singapore i was about 25 i think Traveling? I'm traveling. I was visiting. Yeah, I, well, I was on holiday. I was on my way to Bali. Nice. And I had a friend who, my best friend from university was Singaporean. Mm-hmm. And flights to Bali often stop at Singapore. Mm-hmm. And so I arranged it so that my, what would normally be like a sort of three or four hour stop was like a two day stop. Nice. So I went and saw my friend in Singapore. And stayed with him for a couple of days. And he his his family were involved with lots of businesses and things. And he took us to this seafood restaurant. And he's like, have you ever tried oysters? And I'm <laughs> like, no. He's like, right, we'll have oysters to start then. Wow. And just ordered them. And yeah, that was my first one. How did you have it? Like, is there a specific way that you have it in Singapore? Because here, well, again, I've never eaten oysters before. But isn't it like Tabasco and yeah. lemon? Well, that's one way of doing them, and this time it was with shallot vinegar, which is one of the Ooh. other classic ones. So it's red wine vinegar with just mm. finely chopped shallots, and that's a really nice way to have them. Just that. That's just it. Yeah. Nice. I mean, to be honest, the first oyster it was like totally unremarkable. So <laughs> despite the sticking in my memory, and I've grown to enjoy them more and more. So, but that first one, it was just kind of like, oh, it's a bit slimy, it's a bit weird, it's a bit odd. Do you have to suck it out? It's. How does it? Or just does it? It just slides out of the shell. They're, they're kind of, they're, they are attached to the shell, but what you do, you pass like a fork or a spoon yeah. underneath just to detach it. Then literally just pour it into your mouth. Wow, and you it? sort of just chew it a little bit. Everyone has a slightly different opinion, but you know, just like what I do is I just, just chew it a tiny little bit and then swallow. Great. And yeah, it just the first one I was just like, I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not really sure. That was a bit weird. Yeah. I think I had one or two and that was it. But then was it at that time where you thought, as your friend was just saying, oh, you know, Gavin, you've not had 
oysters before we'll mm. get a round of oysters in mm. did you feel at that point like wow like I'm having oysters because of the association I think that was the thing because it was yeah something that maybe I had wanted to try for a long time but yeah. been a bit scared or or not sort of gone out of my way to actually go and try them so, yeah. or maybe even felt that they were something that was unattainable I know that sounds crazy but obviously I could just go to a fishmonger's and bought some if I really wanted to but maybe I just felt that it was something that I was didn't wasn't attainable for me for some reason so when someone just said hey let's do them I was like oh okay it just felt like kind of yeah breaking through to a new experience that I for some reason on my own wasn't quite ready to just go and take. I totally understand that I mean having never eaten oysters there's an allure there's we it's been branded and marketed to us in a really specific way. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that in our minds, it affirms this vision of access because every image that we've seen of somebody having oysters is like, oh, I'll have oysters and it's an aphrodisiac and it's like mm. some image of a guy trying to lure a woman or something that can be quite reductive or it's with like a glass of champagne next to it. So oh, there, is a, there is a price point that's kind of projected. Yeah. I think I find oysters fascinating as well, though. This is the thing. This is something that's come more latterly around them is firstly, the flavor of them is like it's actually it is quite a delicate thing. And it took me a long time to realize that, like the different types and where you get them from, they Mm. have very, very different flavors, but in a very subtle way. Right. So that's one thing that I really started to discover and really enjoy. But then I also enjoyed them just simply because the fact that they are actually is the geeky bit is there are actually remarkably <laughs> sustainable foods because they improve the environment in which they're grown because they're filters basically so they kind of clean the water that they're grown in and they don't require any fertilizers or anything like that so they're just kind of these filters that clean the water then you get to eat them afterwards phenomenal yeah exactly so they kind of they have this they they're actually really beneficial on the environment they're grown in and, do we know, harvest them in the UK? Like, do we grow them in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're sort of grown around the UK. Definitely out towards Essex, there's lots that are grown, like Malden oysters mm-hmm, are quite, mm-hmm. quite well known. Mm-hmm. And they've also got a huge amount of micronutrients in them as well, lots of minerals and vitamins. Yeah. So, you know, they're, so they're actually really good to eat. They're really good for you, and they're also really good for the environment. So there's kind of a little geeky bit, but they're super... Well, should we just rebrand oysters? And in a little sustainable way, but like, yeah. eat more oysters. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they actually regenerated, like I think in America, there's a bit of water that they've helped to regenerate by growing oysters in that water waterway. It's like a bay, I think, on, off like New Jersey or somewhere. But yeah, they started growing oysters there again to help regenerate the water there. Plus, yeah. obviously, you get loads of oysters as well. It's amazing. I think we need a new branding campaign around yeah. it to make it feel more accessible. Well, this is the weird thing is because they were like, Yes, with so many things. But they were peasant food years ago as well. There was no sort of, no cachet or kind of like premium to them. Well, this is what, the reason I, I brought this moment up is that when you connect this back to COVID, eating a pizza, comfort food, and then we talk about access to food, mm-hmm. it's weird how our the ideology and, and the, the imagery of what's healthy food, what's produced food, what's accessible food has completely changed through the times. Mm. You know, whereas we have access to really good produce at an accessible price, but we've built a sort of a brand and a price point around it so people don't feel like they can have it. Like at the start of this conversation, mm. we talked about you eating cockles and now we're talking about you eating oysters. Mm. 
Um, obviously, you were nine years old choosing cockles as your Friday night snack. It's a slightly different. Uh, it's a slightly different choice. I'm sure if I presented you with cockles and oysters right now, you might be like, "I'm going to have both. This is yeah. great." But it's just the this idea in our mind of access coming at a certain point. And right now, with the new obesity strategy that's been launched, makes me consider whether people feel that good food is available to them. Because um, I feel a lot of people still feel the very similar thing that you're saying, the feeling of like, actually, I don't think that's accessible to me. Like, mm. I don't know it is accessible to me because it's being branded in a certain way or I don't know how to cook that specific ingredient because I don't have the education, mm. you know. Mm. So it's it, it's interesting how things are sort of projected. Yeah. And I guess uh, there's a very English kind of thing. I say English, but I mean, like, I think there are certain parts of Europe and England is one of them for sure where people judge food like by say price for instance and i think that in the uk we're very value driven in that respect like yeah. kind of we want so food is sort of determined by its value by its like financial value mm-hmm. and therefore you know so then if something is expensive then that's we we put a different sort of uh value but you know like different social value based yeah. on its yeah. price Whereas other parts of Europe, they're driven by quality, you know, so they're... Who would so, you say is driven by quality? Like, say, Italy, for yeah. instance. So therefore, well, in France, I guess, as well, they're, they're, mm. they're far less concerned about the price of the, of the product, but they're really concerned about the quality of it. Mm-hmm. So, in, as an example, generalising, but, you know, they wouldn't buy cheap tomatoes if they tasted like water. No. You know, because there's no point. Whereas in the UK, people will flock to, like, big, like, crates of tomatoes that are reduced, because mm-hmm. simply because they're reduced. Yeah. You know, and they won't taste them and go, oh, my God, these taste awful, I'm not going to buy them. You know, but that is exactly what we can't do happen. that because they're all packaged in plastic. Oh, yeah. True. It's like, get to get through that plastic. Right? Yeah. Although maybe that's changing right now because everyone's growing their own tomato and mm-hmm. it is the, it's a ripe time to harvest. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah, I yeah. think you're right actually it's you know maybe now people are valuing produce because they're growing it themselves maybe and they, they're understanding the process involved and there is that connection to you know nature that you need to be able to value something or you, you know, you're either interested in it but this gives you a sort of it's a gross education experience when you're seeing something grow from a seed to fruit and you're like oh wow I did it let me try that that tastes so much better it might actually not taste better Mm. but there's that emotional attachment Mm. to somebody Mm. being involved in the process Mm, 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 mm. yeah 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 and it is yeah there is definitely there's something psychological as well about whether it tastes better or not but it definitely feels like it does definitely yeah yeah Yeah, definitely like like my my mum doesn't make a very good cup of tea Mm. no offense mum but my dad makes a good cup of tea mum's is okay but because my mum's making it for me mm. my mum's making me tea and I don't I don't see her all the time mm. you know I feel really bad that I've just talked about my mum not making the best cup of tea uh-huh. she's never going to don't make worry it my mum's a shit cook so, <laughs> so we've just <laughs> sorry mum but <laughs> she admits it herself as well <laughs> adventurous she's adventurous but just not very good at it I love that. <laughs> Mum, giving you adventure, okay? Take that. You know, well, she tried everything, but just, yeah, she just... <laughs> <laughs> Bless her. To end on a more respectful note, 
we do love our mother's cooking because you know we love their effort just i'm gonna stop talking so um thank you so much gavin we've gone on a journey from cockles vinegar to bitter to functional foods to a bag full of foods and then we found our way to pizza and oysters where we talked about access thanks for being with us today it was a really enjoyable conversation is there any recipe you'd like to share with us just thinking the cockles the the porridge like well it depends what so one of the other things i really love and this is something i love making Go on. and it's basically the tantric sex of food right and <laughs> is, so, i love it <laughs> so what it's make your own croissants yeah tell me tell me the tantric because sex of food it takes like two and a half days to make croissant because you have to make the dough and then you have to chill it and then you have to fold the butter into it and then you have to chill it and then you have to fold the butter again and mm-hmm. you have to chill it and you have to if you've got an industrial kitchen with a blast chiller then you can do it in a day but yes. if you don't you really need to work the dough and the butter then get it really cold again so you need to leave for like six to eight hours in between each folding and you've got to do like three folds so you have to if you wanted to have croissant on Sunday morning for breakfast, you start them Friday night. You, yeah. the, you make the dough and on Friday night, and then you fold them another couple of times during Saturday. And then you've got to then get up Sunday. You've then got to roll the dough out. You've got to roll the. Uh, you've got to cut the croissant, roll them up into the shapes. You then got to prove them. Then you've got to egg wash them and then bake them. So the whole thing is a big mission to do it. Is it tantric sex because it's patience? It's because it takes, it's, yeah, it's very long, drawn out, slow process. Sure. And then when you actually eat the finished product, yeah. it's heavenly. It's heavenly. Yeah. You've recently taken up TikTok videos, right? Yeah. I feel like this should be one of your next TikTok videos. <laughs> it should be the tantric sex of food. Is that what it's called? Is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it should be that. Yeah, maybe that's. I think that could be a big hitter. People yeah. are like, what is he talking about? He's talking about making croissants yeah. over three days. Honestly, they'll be the best croissants you ever tasted in your entire life. Really? Okay, but guys, you need to watch this space because this video <laughs> will be with us very, very soon. <laughs> okay, well, Gavin, thank you so much for being with us today. It was so good to have you and to just talk about all the empty plates that have shaped your life and that hopefully continue to do so. Thank you so much. Thanks, pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. And why not follow Bear Kitchen on Instagram?